If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 24, that's where we'll be taking our text. And to give us a context of what we're reading, Jesus, the hope of humanity, the one that the apostles, they laid all their their hope on Him, He's, He's died and gone. And they're holed up in a room, afraid and worried and and scared and wondering what happened. And they're talking about it. They're talking about the things that have happened. They're remembering what they've gone through and, and who he was and how he promised things. But it seems like it didn't come true because he's gone. And in the 36th verse... As they just spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit, a ghost. And when he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed, not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? Do you have any food? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, the text that's on my heart is verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's the message, power from on high. I feel like I have too much on my heart to cram into one message, so this might be the first of of more than than one. I'm not really sure. I'm going to try to follow the Lord. But there's a few points that I feel like we we need to wrestle with and grasp and try to understand. And if we do, God will use it to help us serve Him better. And if you're saved by God's grace, that's the whole point. Serving the Lord better. That's, That's... He didn't just save us so we could have a more comfortable life or so we could go to heaven someday. Do you realize that? A lot of times we talk so much about salvation being about me making it to heaven. And I'm thankful that I know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm I'm not afraid of hell. I haven't been since the Lord saved me. 
I've never once worried about maybe I won't go to heaven. I've never had to worry about it. But God saved me and He saved you for something so much bigger than just me going to heaven someday. That we might give Him glory, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached among all nations, that we should be witnesses of the things that God has done. And what's on my heart is for us to try to understand how that happens. Power from on high. I might start by saying I really appreciate the the kind words, Brother David. Uh, I know this church prayed for a pastor for a long time, and this is my, I guess, second sermon as your pastor, but I've been preaching here for four, five, six months before that. And the kind words he said, uh, I know they came from the right place and from his heart, but I still feel the need to say, I'm just a man. And your pastor is not going to solve anything for you. There's nothing I can do other than tell you the truth and preach the gospel. The only thing that will help us do anything that matters is power from God. The only thing that will allow people to be saved is power from God. The only thing that will enable us and empower us and strengthen us to reach the community is power from God. Let me tell you something. When there's a fire, you don't have to announce it. People come running. And we need the fire of the Holy Spirit again. This is not something we can work up. I can't get up here in an excited way and try to make you... It doesn't work that way. The power of God is sometimes underneath all the noise of our surroundings. You remember the still small voice in Elijah in the cave after he won a great battle? You might think the Lord would have come to him in in excitement or pomp or circumstance. He did and he came to him in a still small voice that he would never have heard if he hadn't tarried long enough for the noise to go away. That's the first part of this verse. He says, tarry. And I'll get into this more as we go through this message and maybe subsequent messages. But I want to ask you, when's the last time you were in a service? And be honest, when's the last time you were in a service that the people, all of them as a whole, were really tarrying? Waiting on the Lord. See, we have our traditions and customs and habits and ideas and we have a number of songs and a prayer request. We have these things we do. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when's the last time you were in the assembly, the congregation, and people literally waited on the Lord? Nobody did anything unless He led. It doesn't happen often. We have all our stuff. And we fit God into it. That's the honest truth. And I'm not saying it with criticism or to be mean, but what I'm telling you is none of that can substitute for the power of God. Jesus knew this and His parting words to His people, the first ecclesia, the first church, this was so important, this is the last thing He ever told them. Go to Jerusalem. I'm going to send you my promise of my Father. Go to Jerusalem and wait. How much does that fly in the face of our, especially Western culture? We're so busy. But I want to remind you, not all activity is progress. And not all busyness is building anything for the kingdom of God. I too share some excitement of maybe what will the Lord will do here. But I want to be honest with you, I don't know what He's going to do. 
And unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless we keep our eyes on Jesus like I tried to preach last week, all our plans are going to be rubbish. All our efforts are going to be useless. There's no strong enough word that I can use to tell us how useless our labors are if we don't have the power of God. There's nothing else. That's why he told them, Terry, wait. You would think... After Jesus spent his earthly ministry and preached the gospel the way he did and healed everybody, there was all this forward momentum. Have you ever been in a situation where there's so much momentum, for, like an avalanche, like a snowball going down a hill, getting bigger, bigger, bigger? That can be a good thing in a church or a business setting. You don't want the momentum to stop. But Jesus was doing a work that was so much bigger than just forward momentum. This was a work that could only be accomplished through the power from on high. The most important thing they could do is go back there, worship the Lord, serve Him, and wait. Brothers and sisters, the very same thing is true now. The most important thing we can do is wait on the Lord. That's not sitting around. You know this. It's not sitting around with apathy or laziness. But we worship Him, we do what we can, and we wait until He shows us what He wants. Nothing else works. He says, wait or tarry until you be endued with power from on high. Endued. That's a word, unless you read King James, you probably, maybe you've never even heard it. We don't use that word anymore. What does it mean? It means literally to sink into something. Like, like not just putting on clothing, but getting into your clothing. He says, you wait... Until the Holy Spirit has so come upon you that you have been surrounded as if you got into Him like a garment. Wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're lacking. Amidst all the noise and the busyness and the religious stuff. I preach at a lot of different churches. I, I, won't, I won't as much now, I'll be here, but... I've, I've preached all over the country in the last few years, and there's not a lot of power. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of good intentions, a lot of people showing up because they know they should, and, and none of that's bad. But we must be clothed with power. That's what he says. You wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, this wasn't something that just happened on the day of Pentecost. We hold up that day. In fact, there's a whole denomination that's established on the idea of that being the birth of, of, of something. What that was, was the empowering. Jesus Christ had already established His congregation, His true church. And that was the empowering. And this was a, a model that His people followed, not just on the day of Pentecost, but continually. You read through the book of Acts when they had trouble. You remember when Peter and John healed that man? They were thrown in jail. I preached about this recently. And they came back to their people. They told them what happened. They all got on their faces and besought the Lord until their building was shaken with power. And they all began to speak through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This was not just something that Jesus wanted them to do as a one-time thing. This was the model that we're still supposed to be following. Wait until you're clothed with the power of God. 
Seek Him until you're clothed with the power of God. There's, there's nothing else. I get up here and say a bunch of stuff and go through a message I try to prepare, and unless the power of God is with it, you're going to walk away unchanged. You might have some new ideas, but God works so much deeper than just the ideas in our head. And if you're a person who hasn't been saved by God's grace yet, you might listen to a preacher saying a bunch of stuff, but unless the Holy Spirit deals in your heart, you can't be changed. We don't understand. I could spend the whole rest of my life trying to help us understand the depth of this verse and we still wouldn't grasp it completely. I don't know about you all. Some of you might be better at this than I am. But my life is mostly a battle of me thinking I can do something And then getting broken enough to realize all of my own strength is an illusion and then surrendering to God so He can actually do something and then doing it all over again. That's the honest truth. Most of my life is a power struggle. Not because I want the the control, but because there's something hardwired in my flesh that thinks I can do something for the Lord. And I can't. It's so apparently contradictory that we must completely surrender to the Lord to have any power with Him. That's what it took to be saved. And that's what it takes to serve Him. Unconditional, continual surrender. So be clothed with power and then the word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamic. I love that word. It's more than just something strong. The word by definition means force. Force, power, force. But, but it's more than just force. It is a, a living, ever-evolving force, a dynamic power. That's what, the power of the Holy Spirit morphs based on what is needed in, a, in the particular situation. It's not just one thing. He, the Holy Spirit, is alive. He lives inside of us. And if we wait on Him until we're clothed with His power, it will be a dynamic power that's unlike anything the world has ever seen. Religion can never do that. Church, as we call it, can never do that. The only thing that can have that kind of effect on the world is the Holy Spirit. And God's people surrendering to Him in such a way that they have been clothed with power from on high. If you look at the definition of that word power, you'll see that it, not only is it the idea of force, but it's also the idea of inherent power, or power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. I just told you that, and the Apostle Paul said this, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, (laughs) for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which I desire I find not. My flesh... It's useless. I mean, there's nothing I can do with this body. There's nothing inherent in me until the Holy Spirit came to live within me. And now, I thank the Lord for this. There is a power inherent in me. It's there. He's there. He's not going anywhere. And all I need to do is get myself out of the way. There's three points that I I want us to deal with, to to think about, and we may focus on these more in in another message, but 
The first point is, I want you to think about this. What happens when we have power with God? Not just me, but collectively. What happens when a, when a church has power with God? Or what does it look like when we have power with God? How do you know? The second point is, what happens when we lack power with God? Or what does it look like and what is it like when we're powerless? I'm not talking about realizing that I actually am powerless and I have to depend on Him. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we are living in such a way that our lives are so distracted and noisy we don't have God's power. What does that look like? What is it like? And then the third point is, how do we get power? Or what is the path to power? There's a lot of... uh, I don't think they're real preachers. There's a lot of so-called preachers these days that talk about things like this, like getting the power, naming and claiming it. And they have a system. They're just like a marketing guru. I'm in a sales business, and it's exactly how it sounds to me. It's the same techniques, the same strategies. That's not what we're talking about. When I say the path to power, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. I'm not talking about a system I'm going to teach you because I don't have it figured out. I'm talking about the person that we need to draw close to. He is the path to power, the Holy Spirit. Let's just be clear. So let's look at this verse again, and I'll take a few more minutes and and talk about some of these things. Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I will be giving you the one whom I have promised. The Comforter will Come. But in the meantime, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Y'all pray for me. I, I feel like I have so much on my heart that is beyond my ability to even explain. I need the Lord's help. Power. I mentioned there's a lot of people who misuse terms like this and they make it like you can just claim it, take it, have it, do with it, whatever you want. <coughs> That's not how it is. So we need to talk a little bit about, about words, about the idea of this word in general, about what do we even mean by power? In the context of this message, uh, I want to tell you what I'm trying to say when I say power. Part of what I'm talking about is something like authority or the right to say something. That's not complete. There's more to the idea of power, but there's something, there's part of it. A fundamental aspect of the idea of power in the scriptural sense is that person has the right to do what they're doing. I don't know where they got it from, but they have it. We see that all through the New Testament. That God's people who have been imprinted with the personality of His Holy Spirit, there's something about them that is unexplainable and powerful. An example of this is uh, Acts 4-7. When they'd set them in the midst, talking about the apostles who were doing signs and wonders, when they set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or what name... Have you done this? 
The religious leaders, the apostles are healing people. They said, how did you get the ability to do that? What force, where did that come from? By what power or what name? And this is not just talking about the authority, but the ability. I mean, they actually healed people. These men of God were so powerful through His Holy Spirit. You remember the, Peter walked by somebody, his shadow fell on him and that person was healed. Amazing. And I think we hear these things and forget maybe how real they are. <clears throat> by what power have you done this? The right and the authority and the ability. Another example of this is speaking about Jesus, he was different than anybody anybody ever encountered. Mark 1.22, They were astonished at his teaching, for he thought them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This power, part of what I'm trying to hammer on here, is the power I'm talking about is an authority granted by God that's not vested in any religious system or leader. It's beyond... Um, a system. It's that people think that a priest or a pastor or a deacon that they have some kind of authority, unless they're submitting to the power and authority of Christ, they don't have any. If you listen to me, if there is something about this message that is commanding the attention of your heart, it's not because y'all stuck a title in front of my name that says pastor. It's because there's something about the message that is coming from beyond me. That's why they were astonished at his teaching. He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The religious system of thought, the scribes were supposed to have power and authority. They, they, were, they were the experts. And yet we see that the legal experts didn't have any authority. And we see the same thing. The, the priests had fallen from their place of being what God actually meant for them to be. They became so entrenched in a religious system that they no longer... They didn't just have power with God. They didn't even have the light of God. They were the ones who had Jesus crucified. So where do I, I, I can't stress this enough. The power I'm talking about is not just in a church or in a preacher. It's, it's beyond that. This power is, is the Holy Spirit. These scribes, I sort of said this already, but these scribes were the very people who should have had authority with God, but they didn't. These people didn't have the presence of God, and therefore they didn't have power or true authority. Here's the truth. Power and presence are linked. True scriptural Power from on high does not exist separate from the presence of God. Amen. That's why maybe it's so important that we recognize God's not just sending us out to do a job and then we're going to check back in with Him later. He actually walks with us through His Holy Spirit so that He can continually give us the strength and power we need to do what He wants us to do can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We can't even do it together. This is more than just a group effort. We all collectively need more than just sharing each other's energy. We need power from on high. The power and the presence are, are, are one and the same. There's no supernatural power apart from the presence of God. And today, uh, you've seen this. There's plenty of priests and preachers and lead, so-called church leaders 
who have no power because they've divorced themselves from the presence of God. Maybe they never knew Him. But even those of us who have truly been saved by God's grace, there's times that we're trying to do what we're supposed to do and there's no power. We're separated from His power for for whatever sin or reason we've allowed to get in the way. Another aspect of of power, when when I talk about scriptural power... We discussed it's the authority or right or the ability to do it. Um, Power with God also means force. We talked about that definition, but I want to show you with Scripture what I'm talking about. Force is, is an irresistible quality. There are forces of nature that nothing can stand in the way of. If you're in a direct hit of a hurricane or a tornado and it, it's at its maximum power, I don't know of any building on earth that can withstand something like that. God means for His people, His ecclesia, to be empowered through His Holy Spirit to such a degree that the force of that is irresistible. Do you know that? We've lost that. But it doesn't change that that was God's plan. That is why it was said of the first Christians, these men have turned the world upside down. That's why Jesus told them, greater works than these will you do. That blows my mind. That Jesus told them, you're going to do even bigger things than what I've been doing. Greater. Not on your own. Through the power of God. Let me give you an example of this idea of force. Uh, Stephen, Acts 6, 8. Stephen, full of faith and power. There's that word dunamis again. Full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen was a man, and people get in debates about, was he a preacher or just a deacon? It doesn't matter. He was a saved child of God who was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that can happen to each one of us. Full of faith and power, did great signs and wonders. And then... You see how this word works. It's, it's defined in context here in Acts 6.10. They, the people, were not able to withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. There was such a power, such an irresistible force about Stephen. that was, It was beyond him. It was both wise and it was both spiritual, this power, because it came from the Holy Spirit. And it was irresistible. That's what I'm talking about by force. When God saved my soul, now don't misunderstand me, I don't believe in irresistible grace, that term. But when He saved my soul, He came to me with such power that I felt I had to bow before Him and seek. That's, we, we crumble. Sinners crumble in the presence of God. God only saves those who are of a broken heart and contrite spirit. That's it. That power is, to some degree, something you can't resist. Um, you can choose to resist it. Let's, let's take a side note and talk about that. You can choose to. But I'm talking about the power of God being among His people to the degree that when somebody comes across you, they know. <laughs> There's something different. They're uncomfortable. They want to get away. <laughs> or they want to fall down on their face and get it right. You've been around somebody like that lately? We need more saints of God like that. I'm not saying this just because Johnny and Jill are here, but my Aunt Carol was like that. 
his mama, my grandfather's sister. I was lost for five years, and I was around her a lot during that time. We'll go to her house and stay over there before revival and ride with her sometimes to church. And I remember being so impressed that this woman who had so much power with God and made me so uncomfortable had road rage on the way to church. <laughs> it tickled me. I mean, she just mad. It would get out of the way, people. And then she gets to church and the Holy Spirit's with her. Power, like, I mean... What's the point? It wasn't her. And this power of God is not dependent upon you being sinless. Because you're not going to be. It's dependent on you repenting and surrendering and laying before Him and letting Him fill you. I wish we had more people like that. And I'll get into this idea of power more in the message, but part of the true power of God is the Spirit moves freely. We've got a lot of good people, a lot of good church people, but the Spirit is bottled up inside of a shell. It doesn't move. He doesn't move freely. She was somebody the Spirit moved freely through, wasn't she? Those of you who knew her, and, and that made an indelible impact on me. This power that people have, people like her, they also have a wisdom. I remember her telling me, y'all may not know this, but... I got to the point where I was just cold toward the Lord. I had been lost long enough that I just didn't, I didn't feel anything. Go to church, spiritual service, not be upset, not be troubled. I was dead, just numb. And she would ask me, she would say, uh, Joshy, do you know the Lord? Or are you saved? And I'd say, I don't know. She'd say, you need to know. And I remember her telling me this was a turning point that the Lord used. She said, if you don't feel the conviction of the Lord anymore, you can pray that He'll deal with you again. You can pray for conviction again. I did. And I was saved not long after that, a few weeks later. The power of God that was with her was also a wisdom that she knew from the Holy Spirit I needed to hear that. I thought God gave up on me. You know what she said? If there's life, there's hope, honey. We need more people like that. And I'm not lifting her up. I'm lifting the Lord up, what he did with her, through her. The people weren't able to withstand the wisdom and spirit by which he spake. There's also an authentic nature about the true power of God. I've seen people get up in church and make a bunch of noise. It wasn't powerful. And I'm not saying every single time she stood and testified that it, that it was just earth-shattering, but there was a characteristic about Sister Carol that when she stood for the Lord, there was power in it. We're not talking about somebody just making noise. We're talking about an authenticity that's undeniable. And not, not doing that unless you're led. <laughs> they weren't able to withstand. That's the power. The power of God, I mentioned this, but it means that His Spirit... And my spirit, they're supposed to be intertwined. The Holy Spirit and our spirits. He comes to live with us, and the spirit should be able to move freely. Unrestricted movement, freedom of movement. Now this is only possible in a vessel that's broken. 
You know why? I mentioned earlier, there's some saved people and you don't feel much from them sometimes because the, the power, the spirit, the light is inside of an earthen vessel that is so hard and it doesn't have any cracks in it and it's never been broken or have any holes to let the light out. It's just all just locked up inside. You ever known somebody like that? You've been somebody like that maybe? Hard shell. That shell has to be softened for the spirit to get out. And move freely. I'm not just talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about your spirit. You're not a complete person if you're living inside of a shell. Power with God. This is the last point on, on this definition that I'll mention today. Power with God also means not just authority or right, not just force, not just free movement of the spirit, but the ability to command. That's scriptural power. When Jesus came to those fishermen and said, Come, follow me, they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. That amazes me. I mean, they were probably had family businesses, they probably worked with their dad. And they needed some things they probably they probably had to put in order. They needed to hire somebody to replace them or train somebody. He wanted them to drop what they were doing and literally walk off after him. One person told him, Lord, I need to bury my father. I need to go make preparations. He said, let the dead bury their dead. Now, this was an extreme circumstance. Jesus had a limited amount of time to establish, disciple, train up, prepare, and equip his church to go out into the world. He knew there's nothing that matters in comparison. That's why he gave them these kind of instructions. But he commanded them. There was a, 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 an ability to command, a power in his voice. Another example of this, Acts 1.4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. That is uh, the writer of Acts looking back on this verse that I read in Luke. He says, Jesus told this to them as a command. Something you, you must follow this. If you want to have my power, if you want to be used by me, you have to do this. There was an authority. There was a commanding nature. There was, I'm running out of words because I can't describe the depth of when Jesus spoke and said, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. They knew they had to do it. Could you imagine? We get like this. Get in a tizzy. We think we need to go do something. I mean, their leader just died. Things are falling apart and they may think we need to go hurry up and do something. No, what we need to do is wait on the Lord until we're clothed with His power. A couple closing remarks for this, this, this time and then with the Lord's help I do feel like I'll probably spend some more time on this next week. I'll repeat we must have power with God. I don't feel like I could say it enough. We must have power with God. This is not just so we can have a good service, not just so we can feel better, not just so we can have the troubles of the week washed away. We need power with God. I would go so far as to say this, if we don't have power with God, then all of our other religious activity is in vain. I'm not the first one who thought that. There's a song that says, uh, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. I believe that literally. I mean, it's not going to mean 
anything if we come together and try to do something good unless the power of God is there. We must have Holy Spirit inspired, Holy Spirit produced, and Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit sustained power. I'll save the rest for next time, but I want to read you a little quote in closing. This is A.W. Tozer. He's a man, I may not agree with every opinion he has or every doctrinal point. That's okay. Because when I read him, there's something inside of me that says this man has been with God. He has power. And you'll see when I read this paragraph, there's no way I could say it better. So I'll read what he said. The greatest event in history was the coming of Jesus Christ into the world to live and to die for mankind. The next greatest event was the going forth of the church to embody the life of Christ and to spread the knowledge of His salvation throughout the earth. You realize that? Powerful. In short, the church began in power, moved in power, and moved just as long as she had power. When she no longer had power, she dug in for safety and sought to conserve her gains. But her blessings were like the manna. When they tried to keep it overnight, it bred worms and stink. So these days we have monasticism, scholasticism, institutionalism, and they've all been indicative of the same thing, absence of spiritual power. In church history, every return to New Testament power has marked a new advance somewhere, a fresh proclamation of the gospel, an upsurge of missionary zeal, and every diminution or decrease of power has seen the rise of some new mechanism for conservation and defense. If we are to advance, we must have power. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more programs. We don't need a new paint color. We don't need better carpet. It's not going to hurt to have some of that stuff. But if we don't have power, it won't matter. That's what the Lord laid on my heart. Uh, those of you who are here, I think I've talked to every one of you, probably everybody in this building has, has been saved by God's grace as far as I know. But uh, we've got this going online. There might be somebody on there who... Maybe there's something in this message that pulled a cord in your heart. And if God is dealing with you, seek Him. Say, how do I do that? Well, let me tell you how you don't do it. You don't just shake some preacher's hand or just go down an aisle or just make a decision. It's so much deeper. What you do is surrender to the power. We call that repentance. But you, you lay down all of your self-reliance. You beg for forgiveness. And when God forgives you, you'll know because you'll be changed. 